Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 149. We're here with my friend, Bill Russell, and we are going to be talking about owning your own business. Bill has bootstrapped two businesses, or in today's vernacular, he had two side hustles that he developed into full-time businesses. We will get to Bill in just a second. If you haven't bought my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 tips for furniture and mattress store owners to sell another million dollars or more this year. And you have only got, what, 26 days left to do it. If you can sell another million with my book in 26 days, I'll probably give you a million myself. Um, if you do get the book, though, um, call me at 419-560-3169. I will help you implement um, at no charge. Um, your first idea. So pick out a chapter in the book. If you have any questions on how to implement it, I'll help you through it, walk you right through it. And without a further to do, let me say thank you to Chris and Jen, Chris, <laughs> Chris and Jen. Um, thank you to Steve and Greg. I, I wasn't right on either one of those. Um, for sponsoring the show. The Mattress Industry Network Group is the place that you have to be. If you are in the mattress industry, we want you in this group. This is a group that is run by retailers for the benefit of the entire industry. If you want to learn how to build, market, sell, and succeed in the mattress industry, this is the place to be. Hit that QR code right there and tell them Pete sent you. I'm in and out of the group throughout the week. If you have anything for me, just reach out to me and I'm glad to help. Bill, welcome to the show. Hello, Pete, again for the second time today. I know. Long time no see. That was uh that was a typical uh fooler. I looked up at the board and I go, no problem. By the end of it, I was so thankful it was over. So thank you for another traditional uh Bill Russell CrossFit workout. You're this welcome. Morning. Never miss a Monday, right? Never miss a Monday. You got to get the week started off right. Bill, what fascinates me about you is you st you started two businesses as side hustles, what we call side hustle now. Back then it was, I want to start a second business and I can't get from first to second base. So I'm going to try to be on both at the same time. Tell me what was... What was your thought process when you did it the very first time when you started a side hustle that actually became your main business? Um, yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, yeah, I think, you know, over the years, yeah, I've, I've helped hundreds and thousands or hundreds or thousands of people in our gym uh, get in better shape. But I've also helped not hundreds of thousands, but, you know, dozens of people over the years, uh, guys and ladies call me and just kind of look for, you know, advice they want. They're in a... They're in a job, they're stuck in, uh, they want to start their own business. Uh, they're ready to quit and jump out. And the first thing I do is slow them down and say, I think the most, for most industries, their business that you're going to start taking a look at it part time so that you can learn the mistakes while you're not, with uh, your life on the line. It's really hard to, to, to quit a job and start a business and not really know what you're in for. So, Fortunately, I, I, what I'll talk about today, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give any presentation or any, any things that I think somebody should do. I'm just gonna tell my story, and then you can, your listeners can, kind of take it from there. Because 
back in the, and I, you and I are the same age, but sometimes listeners, when they hear certain ages or dates, they're like, well, that won't work now. So I'm just going to talk about how old I was at certain stages instead of dates, just so that, because every, everything it stands the test of time. You know, what I did 40 years ago still works today. It's just a little different speed. That, that fair? Absolutely. Let's roll. Yeah. So back in my 20s, uh, I got out of tech school and I got a really good job uh, as, a, as a computer technician. Okay. And I think what happened, let me jump ahead. Up. I'm going to bounce all around. So we'll, I know you'll pull it all together. Uh, when people go you know, when, when they start their own business, it's usually because they're doing something that they're really good at or they really like. Like uh, you know, an electrician's a really good electrician, or I was a really, really good computer technician. I actually will brag, I was very good back then. Uh, and, uh, or you could be a great salesperson. And you're working for somebody else. So now you think, I want to go and do this on my own. So I can either, you know, make more money, have more flexibility with my time, go in the direction I want to go, uh, whatever reason that is, or, and they're multiple. Um, but what you don't understand, what most people don't understand is there's a lot more to running a business than just being good at your delivering your product or service. And you're going to make mistakes if you just jump in. So. With me starting at part time, it allowed me to learn a lot about the business that I wanted to develop. Um, and so what I did, and this was with my employers, uh, not, I didn't, I didn't do anything under the table. I was a computer technician and I wanted to start selling computer peripherals. Uh, I got connected just with, with one of our clients with a wholesale source of being able to resell. Um, Printers. And so my boss said, well, that's not conflicting at all. If you want to do that, great. And so for the next couple of years, I was able to, to learn the ropes about how to deal with suppliers, um, how to, how to finance things. And I didn't, and I had a, a, a wife and a, and a little baby girl. And I was like, I can't just walk out of my job. Well, so I was able to, to, I think I ran that for two and a half or three years, uh, before I finally went out on my own. So it just allowed me to learn the things that I needed to learn other than just being a good technician. You know, that's fascinating to me and so smart on so many levels because I've seen people that barely had enough to get started and they make a mistake or two and they're gone. They're, mm -hmm. they're just gone. And uh, when... It doesn't have to deliver a full-time income to you. Your full-time income is taken care of and you do make a mistake. It's going to hurt, but it's not fatal. And I think that is super smart. I just, I've got one question. I'm just dying to ask you. I've never asked you this question before um, on camera or off camera. So when, so you get out of tech school, you've got this great job. You want to learn how to sell printers. And your, you know, your guy says, no problem. Go ahead, do that. And you start to do it. And it takes two and a half to three years before it becomes a full-time gig for you. In your mind, how long was it going to take you before you were ready to go? Did you have it in your mind that it was going to take you a few months or did you have it in your mind it was going to take five years like what was in your mind when you made the decision okay i'm going to start 
bootstrapping this. I'm going to start this, this side hustle. How long did you know when you started it that you wanted that to be your full-time gig? Yes, I knew I had the bug, uh, but you know, that's 40 years ago. There, I had no timeline in mind. Okay. There was no pressure. Um, and it was fun. Uh, it was, and, and the, the extra money was, came in really handy too. So, um, uh, I really, I wasn't in a hurry. Uh, but I just, I think that people will know when the time is right. I did. I mean, I knew, uh, it was just time to go and take my shot. And I had attracted a, a, a partner, an investor. He was a client of ours, uh, the, 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 um, my employer, uh, and a neighbor. He was a, uh, in our commercial complex and he, he was a very wealthy gentleman and uh, a big, a real entrepreneur at heart. And he just saw that I had something that he wanted to be with. So he helped. That's what kind of pushed it over the edge. Yeah. Uh, he, so I had, I had the financing and I had more important, most importantly, the mentoring because there's just somebody you need to have somebody that is going to keep you from going off the cliff, making a mistake. Um, but what really helped or what, but I learned both in uh, with, with my business response time, um, and into CrossFit Cleveland, because that's how we started the gym, uh, 17 years ago, 16 and a half years ago. Uh, we had full-time businesses. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, something that is exactly the same for both is that, um, a tip would be be prepared for the market to choose you and don't be so set on what you're going to actually do or the market of the demographic. You know, everybody sits down and makes a bunch of business plans and they think this is who I'm going after. When I started my business in when I was in my twenties, I had a specific niche that I was going for. And within six months, I don't want to say it was a 90 degree. It wasn't a 180 turn, but it was definitely a 90 degree turn because the market was looking for something that I didn't realize was more important than what I was going after. And I, and I ran 14 years in that business with up to 20 employees at one time. Wow. And the same thing. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I love that because I think so often we get in our heads. This is what I'm going to do. And we're not open to the first signs that the market's choosing me in a different way. And this different market is choosing me. And I'm still got my ears peeled back and my eyes focused on this other segment of the market. But another market is actually choosing me. And Sometimes we dig our heels in instead of making the pivot sooner. Yes. So yeah, just, I, I I think that's a fascinating tip that I've never heard on 149 of these shows. I've never heard anyone say that, even though it's super important. So thank you for you're welcome. Thank you for that. Yeah. The and it, when we opened CrossFit Cleveland, when we my, my wife Stacy and I, we opened it with another couple. As a husband and wife, they were friends and um, martial art training partners of mine at the time. That's how we got we're together. And we had two specific targets to go after for fitness training to, to provide CrossFit to um, back in 2007. And the market that I picked wasn't interested. And the market that he picked 
wasn't doable. But we found, but a whole bunch of other people found us and gladly we, or it was like just, we pivoted quick. So here's the funny thing. I was riding my bicycle the very first time I saw you. Didn't know who you were. I saw a bunch of people at the pull-up bars in the Metro parks swinging dumbbells. Uh, what I thought were dumbbells, but I found out later were kettlebells and doing pull-ups and different things. And I saw this a handful of times and then I'm driving by Madison Avenue. I don't know why, but I was. And I looked in and it looked like, um, I don't know, maybe something out of uh, the military training. And I'm like, that looks interesting. And then I saw a big sign that said free class on Saturday. And I came for the free class on Saturday, I think two or three times before I joined. But uh, And then, of course, I made the move with you to the new facility. That's a story in and of itself uh, right there where you took something that had probably never been a gym before and made it into a gym. And it, anybody that would see the before and after pictures could not believe the transformation. As a matter of fact, I found pictures on my Facebook timeline when I was researching this um, of guys cutting down trees to make more room for parking. <laughs> no, that's in our current place. Uh, yeah. You know, back to the question you asked earlier about you know, starting part time. Another reason, uh, and it and it really is more applicable to CrossFit Cleveland, is that it, it gives you a chance to prove your concept and make sure that you know. I said a few minutes ago, don't be so set on the exact market or the services, but making sure that there is somewhere out there, some market out there that wants what you have and will pay for it. Uh, so I'll, I'll just give a quick backstory on on how we started CrossFit Cleveland. We were the first CrossFit gym in town. There were there was a, one that opened downtown a month later, uh, one in Barberton the same time. But virtually no one knew unless you were a former military person or police officers, some fire people, some firefighters knew about CrossFit in the earlier days. Um, we had to prove the concept, and so we started with those free workouts in the Metro Parks. Every Saturday at nine o'clock and people just kept coming and we took advantage of all the free marketing and exposure that you could get um, line. You know, Facebook wasn't going yet or if it wasn't, I wasn't, on it. but we had a, a lot of different tools and you know, meetup.com was one of them. Uh, just we attracted people and they come, of course, it's free. So that doesn't mean you got anything yet. The, the crowd just kept growing every week. And as the summer was ending, we're getting in the fall now and thinking, all right, uh, it's going to get cold out here. <laughs> People are not going to keep coming. Uh, and it was our intention to open, to, to sign a lease. Uh, we just weren't sure exactly when we were going to pull the trigger. And we started asking people, well, look, uh, would you pay for this? And we kind of gave them some ballpark numbers, which was probably higher than anyone was paying for any gym membership because there weren't a lot of fitness classes back then. You were either personal training or you were going to a, well, you know, just a gym that you did your own thing. And enough people said, Hey, yeah, we like that. And so we found a building. Well, here's another 
thing about being flexible. We, I was determined to put the business in Westlake. Um, that's where I grew up to raise my kids. Uh, that was where most of my friends were. My, the, the target market that I was going after was the, the, my, my golfing buddies, you know, the country club guys figured, Hey, they have money. They need to get in shape. Um, they saw what I had done over the previous handful of years to get myself in shape. So it was, it sounded like a perfect thing. Um, and Westlake was not going to, it was very difficult to give zoning. I learned a lot there, uh, that you just can't do whatever you want just because you're a business owner. Uh, we weren't going to be able to open the business there. Uh, found a building in Lakewood. They were, the Lakewood building department was super welcoming. Um, and so we launched there. Uh, yeah, you we're started. Able to, we're able to prove the concept in that three or four months in the, in the Metro parks. And then all four of us, my wife and I and the husband and wife couple that we went into business with, Paul and Nancy, uh, we all had our own jobs or businesses. Stacy had her own successful core reporting firm. I was working in the software business uh, for a friend of mine trying to help him uh, grow something. Uh, and then the other couple had both full-time jobs. So there was no risk. You know, we, we, and we funded it ourselves. We bootstrapped. Uh, we made a lot of our own equipment. Um, so we got up, we got it off the ground and, and without a whole lot of money. Um, and then oddly enough, and I forgot about this until I just reread my story. Um, we opened, uh, first official day of business in the gym was December 1st. We had gotten in there, uh, the end of November and we made an offer to people. We said, look, if you pay your first month, we'll give you your second month for free. So it was a buy one, get one. We had enough people that did that, that it covered our operating expenses for December and January. And by the time we were into January, we had additional clients. So we were cash flow positive from day one. And wow. that's crazy. Now, low overhead, uh, no other employees. We weren't taking any money out. I don't think we took any money out for the first two or three years. It was just to let it grow. Um, so we could do that because we didn't need the money. Um, a lot of times entrepreneurs, and this is a term my, my CPA, Jim Strunk has said to me a couple of times, because a lot of people steal from themselves, you know, they have their own business and they, they just, they need the money and, and they take it instead of leaving it in when they are going to need it. Um, and so when you're part-time, it's a lot easier to just let that raise up. And so we were that way for three years until, um, CrossFit started getting so popular, um, and I was really getting burned out of my computer industry career. Uh, and the business I was working for had to close. It was at that 2009 financial disaster that most people, a lot of the other people don't even re remember. And it's only been 15 years. So that was shut down. Instead of me going out and starting another business in the computer industry or trying to find somebody else to help work with, I said, look, this CrossFit thing is going crazy. Um, and so my wife and I decided, look, instead of me going to find another computer industry gig, I'll just run the CrossFit gym. And uh, we bought our founding partners out and we've been busy ever since. And Stacy then sold her core reporting firm, I think in around 2015. And her and I have been running this as our 
full-time main primary gig since then. But it all got off the ground, proving the concept, no pressure. Uh, we got to learn how to deal with people because the substance of gym business is definitely different than the computer services business that I had 30 years in. Uh, people skills are still on the top of the chart. You know, a lot of mistakes people make when they start a business uh, just because they're good. I talked about this a little bit ago. Just because you're really good at what you do doesn't mean you can make a business out of it, especially if you don't have the people skills necessary uh, because it, that is crucial. So it's people skills and you got to make sure you get the results for your clients. You, know, you can be really good at something, uh, but if your client doesn't see the value in it, um, there's no foundation for your business. Yeah. And the part-time route just helps you kind of figure that out and, and make those turns to, to find the right, the right offering, the right pricing, the right market, the right demographic. So I want to unpack something here because we've got a lot of um, small business owners watching um, and we've got a lot of mattress store owners watching. And, and the thing that I want to unpack is this zoning thing. Um, if a 54-foot semi cannot have access to the retail location that you're considering, it, it won't work. So unless you're lucky enough to find a vendor that delivers on smaller box trucks, but then you're limited to those vendors, you will never be able to buy a big brand uh, that delivers on semis. Uh, 90%, probably 99% of all mattress companies in America deliver on 54-foot semis. So if you don't have semi ac access um, to your retail location or to the warehouse where you're going to store it, you need to rethink what you're doing, Bill ran into a zoning problem that could have cost him a literal fortune. Um, the other thing that I want to go a little deeper into is one of the things that we don't talk enough about in the mattress business. We don't talk about dealing with landlords. And I want to ask you this, Bill, because I've, I, I've walked through a, a landlord negotiation war with you. And, uh, kind of heard parts and pieces of it. And, 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 you know, after where we were on the other side of it, we had a lot of laughs, but there were some tense parts to it. You know, what would you share with uh, store owners? You know, tips that you've learned in negotiating with, uh, landlords, um, how to get the best deal how to deal with them. They're, they're different than dealing with anybody else. You know, when you're a small business and you're working with a manufacturer, that's a completely different relationship than with landlords. Landlords are, they're very different in their mindset and they're very different in, in how they approach things. And sometimes they can be very frustrating. So what have you learned about dealing with landlords in the last X amount of years that you've been working with them? That's a good question. Uh, we'll start with our first one in Lakewood. Uh, well, this applies to both Lakewood and the Rocky River location. Think about when you're the business owner and you're going to lease the space for the first time. Okay, term one, you get all the cards. Well, it depends on the market. I mean, the market's different now. 
I mean, right now, it, well, you know, it was a buyer's market back in 2007. And so they want you. And before you sign that first lease, you can ask for a lot of things. Um, and the smartest thing I did both times is asked for an option to renew. Uh, so I wasn't locking myself into a 10 or 20 year lease, but you can string together, you know, two or three, three year leases. Uh, and they'll be much more open to agreeing to that because they want you as a tenant. Once you become a tenant, now they kind of take over. They got the gold. They own the building. So your negotiating power is dramatically reduced. Um, what I did was in our Lakewood location, and I loved our, our landlord. His name is George Soros. He owns a, a business, a cabling business in Lakewood and owns a, some real estate around. It was a vacant building. It was bombed out. That's something that's um, similar on both the Rocky River location and the Lakewood location. I found a, a, a location where the owner was, I don't want to say he was desperate, but it was like, it was, it was empty. I think it had been vacant for a couple of years. It was in an area in Lakewood that's not really great for retail. Uh, and it just sat there. And I remember when Paul and I walked in and, and I had the business background. I wasn't afraid of signing a long-term lease or and, and my business partner it was at the time that wasn't his thing. So we're walking in and it was kind of my job to do the negotiating. He was cool with that. He was the trade. He was the much more experienced trainer. I had the business experience. So we go in and we, the windows were, um, papered out. They weren't boarded up, but you couldn't see in. And so I only kind of guessed what was in there. So Paul and I walk in and we're walking around and George is showing us and I'm looking, there were two halves of the building. You remember and the George kind of walked to the other side, he was checking on something. And Paul and I just look at each other and I'm like, this place has been perfect. But we had to go back to our gold face. Like, well, no, no, you know, there was nothing in it. It was just, <laughs> so no, 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 no parking lot. I'm like, like, okay. And so now I'm looking on cross, shaking my cross and my, or scratching my head. And the building was kind of separated with a one wall, but there was a walkway through it. It was a, and I said to I said to George, I said, you know what? I said, this place would be really good, but I don't need it all. I said, I just need half of this for now, and which was true. Uh, I said, could you somehow, you know, and he used to shake his head like, there's no dude, there's no way to make this a two-tenant building. Um, and I said, Wow, that's too bad. I said, Do you think you'd be willing to to give me a step rate lease? And he said, What do you mean? And I said, Well, how about for the first 12 months? We pay, because he had said what he wanted per square foot. I said, how about we pay for the first 12 months just for this half? And, you know, we'll use over that. If you want to keep, I said, if you want to keep some of your stuff in there, you can. Um, and then the second year, we'll pay the full boat. And I think it was a year. It might have been a little, a little bit off. And and it, was a, and it was a fair offer. And it's really all I needed. I could have went and got a smaller location. And he agreed to it. And so it was really helpful that first year. We had the use of the entire building, but we only had to pay half for the first 12 months. Um, and it worked out well for him too, because he got a, a tenant for five or six years in a building that might have sat empty for that entire time. So I couldn't help but start laughing because the first thing that I was taught in this business is never fall in love with a building and never 
never let a landlord see you falling in love with the building. <laughs> yeah, like stone face. Mm-hmm. Don't, no matter how much you like it, it don't show it because that'll be the end of your leverage. Um, but he was great. And what we also were able to do is, uh, is part of it. I, I didn't negotiate off his price. He had a number, he had a hard number. It's like, okay. And it was fair. And I said, but could you do some build out for me? So instead of taking away what I was going to pay him, it's in any negotiating, if you can give somebody the money that they want and then just ask for more stuff or, or conditions, they'll be more apt to do that than lower the price. Then that's not a price battle. And in the long term, the relationship is better because you gave them what they wanted and you, you didn't start the relationship like fighting over dollars. Um, and so he said, well, what would you like? And I just kept asking until he said no. And he did all the work and it was awesome. He, he built us out a great gym. He did everything. Um, he'd even come in. You know, if I, I'd need to hang hooks on the wall for something because it was a cinder block walls. Uh, he'd come in and do that. No charge. Um, I think one time I, I told him I would do it and he's like, Oh no, you're not touching my building. Anything you need, I'll do it. Um, but it, we, we got off to a really good start. Um, and then I got that option to renew. So when the renewal came, it was, it was just, you know, there was no renegotiating. It was, it was done. You went by it really fast, and I don't want this to get lost by any of our store owners that are watching this. The relationship after the deal is done is super important. So how do you get the most you can without starting the relationship off on the wrong foot and negotiating on extra things instead of Make trying to beat somebody down on the actual price, trying to get them to do build outs, trying to get them to do other things that you are going to have to spend money on is a great way to start that relationship in, in a much better way. Um, this option to renew, this is super important. Um, most landlords, <coughs> store owners, if you're not taking notes, take notes on this. Every landlord will hit you for the longest lease they possibly can in their mind. So it's not uncommon for them to ask for a 10-year lease or even longer. And instead of agreeing to that, agree to a series of smaller leases uh, that have options so that you don't get thrown out. If your business is going really great, you don't get thrown out. You, you have an, a structure and an option, and usually it goes up over time, and that's okay. If your business is doing better, your business is the most vulnerable on day one. That's where it should be the most vulnerable. And, and I'm assuming that you're knowledgeable about your business, you're well-skilled at your business, you're good at it. Where you're vulnerable and where you need the most help is on day one. So never, ever do this. Write this down. Never drive a luxury car so that your landlord can see it or you will be paying a higher lease the next time or going around. I had a sleep shop in Mansfield, Ohio. Steve showed me his new Porsche 
And I said, don't you ever drive that here again. He goes, why? I said, your landlord will raise your rates. Well, he didn't listen to me. He is 20 some years old. He was <laughs> kicking butt. They tripled, tripled his, his rent. And he ended up going out of business and not just because they tripled his rent, but because he was a showy guy and he spent every dollar he got his hands on, which is a whole nother lesson. And Bill touched on that. Um, so don't drive fancy um, cars to work. Never fall in love with a building. Break it down to smaller leases that have an option to renew, as Bill said. And then one last thing from me, and then I'm going to let Bill talk again. Um, if there's an anchor and the landlord is saying, you're paying me X amount because of this anchor. Once he or she says those magical words, that's where you put in your mind, I'm putting in a protection clause for the anchor. If the anchor is lost, I get to get out of that lease. And you don't do it right that minute, but when you're at the end of it, you're going to, you're going to kind of go through the whole deal with your landlord and you're going to say, this, Anchor is very important and I want a clause in there so that if you lose the anchor and the anchor is no longer in this strip center or in this mall, I get to get out of my lease that you told me that was important. Negotiating that anchor protection clause could be huge to you. Bill, I've been doing all the talking. Sorry. I got excited. I've been talking plenty. You're, you're just fine. Pete. Um, <laughs> You know, going back to making the decision to get into business, um, you know, make sure you have the right skills. Because uh, again, a lot of people are really good at what they're doing, but they're not necessarily good at managing other people or even serving clients. Um, and just because you're the best, let's say in the in the in the, the gym role, the trainer, let's say I was the best trainer in town and I am not, I'm not the best. There's some really good trainers in town. If I was the best, doesn't mean I'm the best business person. Doesn't mean I'm going to have the best facility because what you have to have in our business and you have to have in pretty much every business, you got to love your clients. Mm -hmm. Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit, told all of us face-to-face -face, through videos in all of his writing, you got to love the hell out of your clients. He doesn't care. He didn't, he, you can, you can always improve your coaching skills. You can go and learn a little bit more. But if you don't love your clients, I don't care how smart, what kind of exercise phys master's degree you have. If you don't love your clients, it doesn't mean crap. Um, you, it's a people business, especially in ours because it's group fitness. You know, I might be able to own a, uh, a gold gym or whatever it's called. Now in Westlake, you could own that and never see a client and you'd be fine. But most businesses that entrepreneurs like Pete, like you and I run, we're dealing with people every day and they know if you don't, I mean, you can't love everyone. You're going to have your clients that kind of bug you, but in general, you have to love what you're doing and you got to get results for them. Um, and so just because you're the best doesn't mean you're the best person to run that business. You, I prob you probably see that all the time, don't you, Pete? I, if somebody can be a great salesperson, they they can be they can be really good with their presentations and just almost like in a robotic mode where they just go through 
but they then go out on their own and they realize there's a whole lot more than just closing somebody on a mattress. Yeah. You know, I, I think you've been kind of poking at this the, the entire time. The the skill set that you have that made you maybe the best salesperson at your mattress store, the best salesperson at your furniture store are not the same skills that you're going to need as an owner. You're going to need to learn how to market your business. You're going to, you're going to need to learn if you haven't already how to manage people. And that's, that can be complicated. The, especially the piece of it where you go from a selfish, productive producer, only worried about him or herself to being responsible for a team of people and their well-being and putting them, their needs in front of your needs. That is a very tough lesson for salespeople to learn. Uh, when you're a hot shot, prima donna, top of the food chain, alpha salesperson, you literally in some cultures walk on water and that can be very destructive when you become a sales manager. If you cannot check that ego and check all that stuff and you have to start looking at it from uh, the other person's uh, viewpoint and you have to coach people who don't have the same level of ability or talent or drive that you have. You know, one of the things that I'm very fond of saying is you are not your customer. Your customer has their own particular makeup and your ability to work with that customer effectively has a lot to do with reading the customer and not kind of putting yourself and projecting your stuff onto a customer, just taking them and bringing them to where they need to go based on their individual needs. So the skills that you need as an owner are different than the skills you need uh, to be a salesperson or even a store manager. They're different skills. And the biggest one is the marketing and, and the advertising. I love when you said, love your clients. Mm -hmm. You have to, because sooner or later, they're going to feel whatever it is, they're going to feel it. Mm -hmm. And either it's going to be a good feeling or it's going to be a not so good feeling. And that leads me into a 180 degree different conversation. Well, can I throw one thing in quick? Yeah. Go ahead. Is like um, some people might be listening on love. Like, come on. What do you mean? If you can't. Don't think about it as, as really liking the person themselves so much. As lo loving the results that you're seeing them get. So that way, it doesn't matter if it's a person that you like or dislike or, or it, it's, you've got to be wanting when they get, when they get a, when they get a, a, a win, that that's got to go right to your heart and go, I help them do that. Yeah. Yeah. If it, if it doesn't, you're set. Yeah. Or figure out a business that you don't have to love your client, which I probably wouldn't want to be in because it wouldn't be any fun. So anyway, go, here's your, here's your 180 degree on me. So here's the 180 degree. You try and you try and you try. It's just not a fit. It's, and you know, sometimes we as business owners come to a painful decision that we have to let a customer go. 
And usually what we find out after we have gone through all the mechanizations of that and gone through all of that, we find out that we should have done it a long time ago. And I remember some instances where you were wrestling around with, and after you finally did it, a lot of people who had never said booty, you came up to you and said, man, that's great. Blah, blah, blahs. Go on. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That it, You know, that's in our business. The clients are interacting so much that if you have a bad apple, it can cause a lot of negativity. Uh, in your world and your mattress, it's the employee. Like we've all, I've gone through it as many, as more times than I can remember in my years of my computer business. Is that let's say there's a person you just got to fire them and they just don't fit. And it's a hard thing to do. So what do you, what do we normally do? We, we delay it. All right. I'll give them another month. I'll give them another month. And you finally sit Pete down or Jane down and go, you know what? This isn't working. I got to let you go. And they go, oh, yeah, I knew that was coming. I was like, why didn't I do that two months ago? Um, so that's the employee side. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the your kind... story. And there are, and then we'll have it. It's a hard decision sometimes when you got to let a client go. Uh, sometimes you got to make them think it's their idea. Um, yeah. And so they end up hating you. So, but you got to, you got to suck that up and go, it's better for the community at whole at large for those two or three people to go and badmouth you because they think you suck. Um, at least you got rid of them. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a hard thing to do it, as a it business is. owner. It, yeah. it, it's very difficult because we want to win and win and win. And somehow that feels like it's losing and actually it's winning. And it it's, it's very difficult to yeah. come to that place w- with an employee or a client. And it's especially tough when it's a client um, that, you know, was profitable at one point, but because of the behavior that went uncorrected, there it's not profitable anymore. Yeah. The, the, the interesting thing is, you know, some of the best authors on sales management, um, Mike Weinberg comes to mind. He said, the kindest thing you can ever do is to set somebody free. If they are not a good fit, set them free so they can go do something else with their life. I mean, this isn't that you automatically give up on people. Oh, it's not a good fit. So I'm not going to coach them. No, this is after coaching. This is after correction. This is after, you know, if it's still not a fit, you've got to let them go. And I have to say this, Bill. It is an art form to get a either an employee or a client to quit instead of having to fire them. And it's one that we should uh, endeavor to develop because it, it is uh, the safest way to go, uh, especially in this world that we find ourselves. So if you could go back in time, and change, you know, just magically um, change uh, the start of either one of your businesses. What would you change? 
the actual start or at any point in the developing of it? I say, well, what, what comes to mind first? And then I'll, if this isn't a good answer for you, then you can ask me again. Um, years ago, I wish I would have learned, even though I love my clients, I was easily irritated by people who just did something that I didn't like. It was just, too, it was, it, I was easily irritated. And, you know, if you remember back five, six, seven years ago, I had, I had some major joint replacement surgeries. I had years of martial arts that just beat up my body. It wasn't CrossFit. It was before that. And I was in a, just a ton of pain, um, for years. And I just, you know, we're all tough guys. You know, we just kind of suck it up. But what I learned after my surgeries and now being pain free and feeling awesome is that when you're in pain all the time, it's real easy to be a prick. Or you can be nice and have this switch, like you can get thrown in and kind of just be irritable or irritated when you don't need to be. Yeah. Um, so I probably scared off as many clients as I fired doing that. And so, but you know, we learn, you know, we're not that nobody's the same person they were five years ago. Right. So, so we just hope it's, you just hope you're better. And so right. that's all I've always done through my life, business-wise, personal-wise. Just trying to just be better a little bit at a time. And sometimes you take steps back. Um, but I find now, and I don't know if you notice it, but it's very, very difficult to get me irritated. Um, there are a few things I got buttons, trust me, but not as many buttons as I used to have. That's funny because I, the reason I'm laughing is it's, it's true with me. I, you know, if I could write a letter to my, 20 year old self, I would say, Pete, just relax, smell the roses, keep working hard, but you're going to have a magical life, dude. And most of the things that you're worried about, they're never going to happen. Mm -hmm. And just relax. And that has probably been my greatest challenge. Who's that guy? Uh, my greatest challenge is, is trying to relax. You know, sometimes people only see me one way because of the role that I play in their life. And they think, Oh, this guy's the easiest going guy, guy in the world. No, I am a type A super hyper tired and everything else is just dressing it up. I mean, I am, I, I'm a holy mess and always have been. And uh, try to do my best to cover it up. But I did want to say hi to Jerry in Florida. Hi to Tim McDonald. Hi to Kyle and Guy in South Africa. Thank you. Naples, Florida. I know Jerry is my my helper. He actually runs my calls on Friday called Winning the Weekend with Pete and Friends. And uh, we do a Zoom call every Friday at 1. And, and it's like a mini mastermind. So, uh, so guys, thank you for being here. You guys got any questions for Bill? If not, I'm going to keep peppering him with questions because I've got some more. So you used Meetup at the beginning. Is that still a media that you use, or do you not use that any? Well, I still have my account. You know, it's 16, 17 years old, um, and we have probably six hundred or six hundred and fifty members of that Meetup group. I still pay the fee uh, just because I don't want to turn it off. It's one of those kind of like gym memberships that 
it's not a lot of money. So you just don't want to cancel it. Uh, so I keep paying for meetup, but we don't really utilize it. Uh, every once in a while, we'll get somebody coming in off it. But it was instrumental in the beginning yeah. to finding new people. So that and email. And then we, we captured everybody that came. They had to sign a waiver. We got their cell phone number, which we didn't use then uh, for texting, but I do now, uh, and an email. And we sent them a message every week. I had a weekly newsletter. So we were able to do that nurture thing way back before people even talked about nurturing your leads via email. And, that meant, and it just kept people in touch. And I still have people on that email list back from 07, 08, 09. Wow. Well, so let's talk about that. Um, this newsletter that you do, tell me the focus and the purpose and tell me then the results and maybe a few unexpected results from it. Well, it was just to keep our, here's what I've always considered uh, in marketing in my businesses is I want to be, you want to be visible. This is great for the for application for the gym world because most people don't see, you know, nobody's going to watch this and go, Oh, never thought about joining a gym. I should do that today. They don't, it's not an impulse thing. It's a, it's been months or a year. Like, God, I, I could get off this couch. I got to do something. I, or they wake up and like me back when I was 39 and I stopped fitting in the last suit, I looked at a closet full of Hickey Freeman suits, a bunch of custom made shirts. And I said, I can't afford to replace my wardrobe. There was a necessity. And so I, <laughs> I, 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 I got to get myself back in shape. I mean, I lost, I'm 40, I was 40 pounds heavier than I am now. And I lost that in a matter of six or eight months. But anyway, um, I want, but nobody just says, let's go join a gym. There's a, there's an emotional reason. So I want to be visible so that that day, I don't know when it's going to be, Pete, when your friend is going to say, I got to go do this. But the day he does or she thinks that, I want to be visible. So they pick me. They've seen me over and over. So you just try to stay visible. And I think the th the funniest, the lesson we learned, it, it's repeated over and over, not a lesson, but uh, it's just a thing. It's how many people have seen us, read our emails, for years and they find, we call them lurkers and they finally like, I'm coming. You know what? I've been reading your stuff for five years. I, I need to come. And you know, so that's just the, the reason to always be putting yourself out there. So not, not trying to expect a result today. That person might not be there needing you for three or four years. So the surprise with the newsletter is that you've had people open in these things for years and then they finally decide to come in. Mm -hmm. So this is what I want to say to my store owners. Anybody that you can get an email and or a cell phone, you need to nurture. And what Bill is given in these newsletters, he's given a mix of just great value. Uh, a lot of times it's a nutrition tip. A lot of times it's an exercise tip. Um, it's pretty non-salesy. Once in a blue moon, they, they'll make an offer, but it's, it's really non-salesy and yours should be too. 
but there should be an offer after someone's been on your list for a while. If they have not never seen an offer, you're not doing it right. But you don't want to be overly salesy. You do want to focus on delivering value. So talking about delivering value, I I want to talk about this. Um, usually I give you the last 10 minutes, but I've eaten up the entire uh, 57 minutes. So we got seven minutes left and I'm going to steal the last little bit of it because I have to tell everybody that I did something with Bill about a year ago. A year? Yeah, a year ago. And because I'm traveling so much, I took a program in addition to being a CrossFit member and doing that when I can, but Anybody who knows me knows I live in the hotel rooms. I mean, that's I'm, I'm, I'm on the road at least two to three nights a week, sometimes more often, uh, more than that. And so Bill started advertising this workout. And basically, you could do it virtually, and you, you barely needed any equipment. And I kind of said, there is no way this is going to work. There's no way. And so I did it. And it was really, really easy at the beginning. But boy, within a few workouts, it started getting tougher. And then it got really, really, really tough. And so I want you to talk about your virtual training because guys, anybody, anybody, if you're in South Africa, you could do this as long as there's not a brownout. Anybody in the world could do this. So, yeah, that's my, that, you know, that's the one thing we really didn't talk about. Testimonials and asking for testimonials and reviews. People love to give reviews and testimonials, but most of the time we as business owners don't ask them. And that's something you're really good at, Bill. So let's talk about that as well. Sure. Thanks, Pete. Um, yeah, so my remote, it's a remote coaching program. Uh, and this is really going to be my third business, uh, has launched as a side hustle. Cause even though it's fitness training, it's delivered an entirely different way. Um, so basically I have a 16 week remote coaching program. It's to teach men and women how to build muscle and lose fat as they get older, especially after injuries or surgeries. Um, I have what I call a program I call the Russell Method, uh, and it's designed to regain and build muscle and lose fat using joint-friendly exercises that anybody can do, again, after surgeries or injuries. Uh, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical therapist. I don't fix things. I wait for them to be uh, released to go exercise again, but now I can teach them how to build muscle safely and effectively at home using very light weights, uh, resistance bands. Um, again, it's a 16 week program. That's all online. Uh, Pete, you've done it. It's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a step by step, week by week self paced guide that has coaching calls with me every week. So it's not as, it's not, it's not a zoom class. You're watching videos. You're learning exercises one at a time with a workout and you have me as a coach. So. There are plenty of programs out there. You can go and search and find all kinds of things on the internet. The key is having somebody help you implement that. You know, pick the right program, figure out what's best for you and implement it and have you do it 
and complete it to get the results. So it can be done standalone, remotely, without any gym. And I also have a combination where once a week or once every other week, my client comes in and we do a personal training session on my routine so that I make sure they do it right. So it, there's a lot of ways to work with me. Um, but what you found uh, most effective is just when you're traveling, you have a gym membership, you can come to the gym, but you can do that in a hotel room. You can do it anywhere. Uh, and that's another that's another market that I, you know, we talked about earlier, be flexible. I had never thought about that as, as, a, as a market. It was more people like me. I've had shoulder surgery. I've had hip surgery. I need to be able to, to gain my muscle back without beating up those new joints. And so I think I'm uniquely qualified to do that because I've been through it myself. Um, and so that's what my, my third launch is. The, the computer business started part-time, went full-time. The gym, physical gym business went part, started part-time, went full-time. What I've been doing for the last year, year and a half is I've developed the program. I've got it proved, the proven concept. Now I just need to launch it. And hopefully that's the, the idea is that's our third and, you know, kind of semi-retirement stage business of mine so that I don't have to run the gym every day. And I can find someone to take that, carry that flag. Like you, Pete, I think a perfect retirement job for you would be taking over my gym. <laughs> You've been there longer than pretty much everybody. Maybe we have five or eight people that have been there longer than you. I started in 2011. I believe it was the summer of 2011 uh, because something came up on my Facebook and it was December of 2011. And it said I had been there for 15 weeks. So um, the, the one thing that I would say is you cannot believe the amount of um, stress you can put on your body with just bands. Mm -hmm. Um, and a simple, uh, medicine ball, but my favorite piece of the 16 week program was the accountability, the one the the coaching, and it was actually group coaching, but it was really great because a lot of people were asking questions that I had. And so that, that would narrow my questions from maybe three or four down to one or two, because somebody had already asked a question I was. I was thinking about. So anybody that wants to join a 16-week program, go to Bill Russell. Where is the... Where BillRussell.com. Two S's and two L's. Bill, BillRussell.com. Go to BillRussell.com and join Bill. Click um, the starter button and give me your info and get in touch. There it is. There's the form. Chris Stone, you are amazing. <laughs> Have I told you you're amazing yet today, Chris Stone? You are. Bill, thank you. I cannot believe that hour went by that fast, but I think we gave everybody that was listening plenty to, to do and to think about. Um, so thank you for everything that you do. Um, you are appreciated and you are a shining example of how to bootstrap a business to use an old term in a new world um, and, and to use creativity and grit to really get what you want in this, in this life. You know, not every, you know, when you have a good idea and your heart is in the right place to serve people, the other things that you need 
they will they will start to happen as long as you're taking a step and you're taking action. And one of the things that you always say to us, Bill, is just take a step in the right direction. Just keep stepping in the right direction. And that's what I would say to all of my business owners, whether you own a mattress store or you own a furniture store or a consultant business or a sales business, just take one step at a time. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy your clients. Enjoy your customers and have fun. And Bill, thanks for having fun with me for the last hour. Thank you, Pete. I will see you soon. Wednesday, Lord, Lord willing. You bet. Sell a million. And thank you, everybody, for being here. Thanks, Pete.